Well, if a simple, warm, fuzzy feeling greeting like Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Thanksgiving, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Winter Solstice, if that's your jam, uh, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy New... We got this season is chock-a-block full of of accolades and blessings and prayers that we want to wish bestow upon people. Uh, If simply saying that would grant that as if some magic wish upon a lamp, uh, then wouldn't it be wonderful? We'd come to Christmas every year. We'd wish away the problems, but the reality is the problems sometimes stay. Um, What is the quality of your life right now? What is the quality of your soul right now? Think about that in this Christmas season. I know we put on a happy face. We get all jolly and wally at this time of year. And sometimes it is, uh, it is all a facade. And I don't want it to be a facade. I know that in Great Britain, they're not only measuring what is the GDP of their country, they actually have a new measure of measurement to measure the quality and the health of their country. It's called the GWB. Uh, now we've heard of gross domestic product. That's what we all live on every day, trying to figure out how we can become better, stronger nation as a whole. But the, Great Britain is measuring the GWB, the general well-being of its citizens. I think it's an interesting metrics to measure and to try to figure out how healthy are we, how, how sound are we. Uh, David Cameron, who was the, uh, who was the prime minister for a number of years said this when I dove behind the the understanding of what this GWB was. And it says, well-being can't be measured by money or traded in the markets. It can't be required by law or delivered by the government. It's about the beauty of the surroundings, the quality of the culture, the uh, above all the strength of our relationships, improving society, uh, society's sense of well-being. Listen to this last statement. I believe the central political challenge of our times. It's not how do we grow our GDP and how do we grow our bottom line, but how can we as a people, as a nation, as an individual, how can we grow and help make mankind a better place. Grow the central challenge as the well-being of each individual. How do we do that? And again, we come to this time of year and we throw out these wishes and they're almost vision statements, if you will. They're blessings over people. And there's nothing wrong with that. Not, not, not denouncing that. But what is a vision? A vision is is where I want to go, what I want for you. It's not a reality. It's a vision. It's a, it's a hope someday, get there, maybe someday. Now, that's great. There's people in our co- companies that are in your company that, that are visionary kind of people. And they are dreamers and the conceivers and they're, they're out in front and they're seeing what things that could be and should be. And you like the visionary kind of people and you need the visionary kind of people. Uh, the visions are what Christmas greetings are. I hope that you have a Merry Christmas. I hope that you have a Happy New Year. That's a vision statement that we want for them. But the thing is, is that unless a vision has a plan, it's only a dream. It's only an idea. It needs a plan to back it up. We call that strategy in your world. That's action. When we actually put something on paper, we actually get a plan in place. It's how I'm going to get there, okay? The vision is that I would have a happy marriage, 
Wouldn't that be wonderful? Vision, I'd be, be, be more successful on the job. Wouldn't it be great if my kids were, were, were less materialistic? Now, that's the vision that we want. We want our kids to launch well. That's the vision that we want. Now, how are we going to get there? Because it's one thing to have the vision and say, I, this is what I want for my family. This is what I want for myself. This is what I want for my health. New Year's coming. Going to make New Year's resolutions. I want to be healthy. I want to have that beach bod by summer. That's the vision. But if you don't back it up with a plan, with a strategy on the backside of that, it's just a dream. It's just an idea. And every time I stand up here and share a message or you have a series of messages, I come to this time with a vision of a direction. I come to a text and I interpret and I read and I, and I dive behind the scenes of it. And every time I do that, I'm looking for what is the message of, of, of an ideal life, of God's plan for our life. And then I got to back it up by text. How do I get there? Otherwise, it's just an idea. It's just a dream. For example, this series is called uh, The Best Christmas Ever. How to have the best Christmas ever. How do we have joy in our Christmas that is the best Christmas ever? Now, that is the vision for it. Now, how are we going to get there? Well, how we're going to get there is over the next three gatherings that we gather together, which is today, next Sunday, and we have our normal gatherings on, on Sunday, and then Christmas Eve night, Three next three gatherings that we're going to come together, or Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve afternoon and evening. We're going to come together and we're going to look at three different moves that we can make that will get us strategic plans that will get us to having the best Christmas ever. So hopefully you can reset. Hopefully you can go into Christmas and go, okay, this is what we're going to have to increase the joy to have the best Christmas ever. And again, this is just something because I come to Christmas season every year and I go, man, how can we, how can we present the same message? But you know what? I come and I hear the same songs. I hear the same regrets in the same New Year resolutions. Hey, I need to eat less. I need to spend less. I need to do things better. This year's going to be, we'll make all these new resolutions. Let's do it now. Let's figure out now how we can move into a future that is better. One full of joy, sustainable joy. Now, I don't agree with 90% of what Frederick Nietzsche said, a German existentialist said, he said, Christians have no joy. That was his assessment of the Christian faith. But yet the Bible says joy 500 times. So if there's not joy in the Christian's life, then there's a disconnect between the vision of Scripture and the reality of our souls. So how are we going to move between the vision of 500 times in Scripture talking about joy and the reality that many Christians don't live with joy in their life? How do we get there? That's the bridge that we hope to cross over the next few weeks. So take your Bibles, open to the book of First Thessalonians. We're going to be jumping over several passages of Scripture in the next three gatherings. And again, I hope you've looked on there. You know which one you're coming to on Christmas Eve night as we come together. We worship going right into the Christmas season. And then, uh, again, next Sunday, the same time, same place, same bat channel, uh, we'll be back here. But, uh, but let's look at First Thessalonians today. Figuring out what is the first move if we're going to have joy, sustainable, continual, ongoing, life-filled joy that make this the best Christmas ever, I think we need to move beyond just having cheer in the season and learning to have joy throughout our years. Moving from thanksgiving to thanksliving. How do we have a thankful heart? I think that's one of the key things that is going to get us there. What we're going to talk about in this whole thanks living kind of thing is we're going to have to have perspective. 
Getting the right perspective on life will help us out a lot. Again, you know this, I know this. If we don't get perspective on, on life, the cup is always half empty. Perspective, posture. How do we need to position ourselves in life as we move through life? How are we going to live day to day, moment by moment in life? What's our posture in life? And then a proclamation. What are we declaring today over our life and over the circumstances of our life? What is that proclamation that we need to make today? Now, we're going to see it, and we're going to see it really quick, and you're going to blink, and you're going to miss it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Because what we have here is we're going to have about 16. We're not going to look at all of them. We're only going to look at three of them, but, but 16 times in 14 verses, Paul gives, Paul writes the first Thessalonians. It's a letter that he writes to the ch- church in Thessalonica, as they call the city today. He writes this church in Thessalonica that he was only there for a couple of weeks. There was a great movement of God that happened that we'll see in a few moments that, that, that happens and unfolds and it's a beautiful work of God. And many people become followers of Christ. But he's only there for two weeks. So now he's writing back to them, hey, I've got to give you some stuff. And I don't know if he was running out of parchment or what. But he comes to the end and he fires off in 14 verses, 16 imperative commands. We're going to look at three of them. These three, I think, will help us to unlock that door, that avenue of what it means. John Walford said these three verses that we're going to look at or these three statements that we're going to look at, they're the, uh, there is no easier or more simple recipe for a happy Christian. John Walford is a New Testament theologian from Dallas Theological Seminary years gone by. And he said, there's, this is the recipe for a happy, joy-filled Christian. So enough of that. Let's talk about it. What does it mean? What, is it, what does it take? Three verses, blink and you'll miss it. Verse 16. See, in fact, they're so short, I want you to read them with me. Here we go. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you've ever wanted to know the will of God, here it is. Can't make it any plainer than that. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You want to get your life with the right perspective, the right posture, and the right proclamation made over in, in and through your life, then here it is for your life. Again, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever situation we're looking over, if we can get these three things in our life, I believe that we will be unlocking secret sauce, if you will, to what it means to live a life of joy-filled living. And now, as we look at these, these are choices that we're going to make. Okay, these are choices that we're going to make. Here we go. Number one choice is perspective. And what is that perspective? It means to rejoice always. And I think, wait, 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 wait. I get one word, but I don't get, I get the second word, but I don't get two words mixed together. I have no problem with rejoicing when things are good. When things are, when the wind's at my back. When things are going in my direction, when everything's up and to the right, I have no problem with that. But always, always rejoice. I mean, always in every situation, every season, every circumstance, always rejoicing. That's exactly what he said. In fact, if you want to memorize a verse today, I'm going to give you two verses to memorize and give yourself two brownie points when you get home because you will memorize two very short verses in Scripture. One of them is right here, rejoice always. In fact, it is the shortest verse in the Bible. Now, some people say, no, Jesus wept is the shorter verse. It's actually in the Greek language, it's three words, Jesus wept. This is actually only two words in the Greek language. So this is the shortest verse in the Bible. And it just merely says, in an imperative command, 
rejoice always. And you know what that means in the Greek? Always rejoice. Isn't that, isn't that profound? How, how is it then that I get there? That I'm able to do that. Now, I've got to remember the context in which Paul's writing. Paul has been in Thessalonica for all of about two weeks. Now, he's not in Thessalonica when he's writing this. He's writing back to Thessalonica because what happened in those two-week period, and you can read this in Acts chapter 17. I don't have time to read it all for you today, so you can look it up. But in Acts 17, it talks about the time that he goes to Thessalonica. And while he is there, this great movement of God happens. He's sharing in the synagogue. Many people become believers, even women. Women leaders become become leaders. So it's like city councilmen. I don't know what, what was it, CEOs of business. I don't know. But all these people become, and the Jews become jealous. And they become jealous. What they do is turn around and they start looking for Paul and Silas. They're going to beat the tire out of him, literally. They can't find them, but they find Jason. They're staying at Jason's house. They take Jason and they beat Jason. And meanwhile, in the middle of the night, what does Paul and Silas do? But they escape town in the middle of the night. They get out of town as fast as they can. They run to the city of Berea, not far from Thessalonica. You can go there today. Why am I saying all that? I'm saying that Paul is writing back to a church that just chased him out of town and wanted to beat him to death. Now, when he writes back, he doesn't say, hey, guys, those guys hurt my feelings. Those guys were unfair. They were unjust to me. I want you to lead a revolt. I want you to get them. I want you to get even with them. Those guys threatened me. They were mean to me. No, what he does is he tells them to rejoice always. Even to those who are persecuting you, even to those circumstances that are against you or that are, the wind is in your face and not at your back, even to those people that are in your life that are just rubbing you wrong and you can't, if God would you give me a new boss, if God if you'd give me a new job, if God if you'd give me a new mate, God if you'd give me new kids, I would rejoice, but I can't in this. I can't in this. And that's the wrong attitude. If that wasn't enough, if you go and you read the book of Philippians, in nearly every chapter of Philippians, Paul is writing this from prison in Rome. It's one of his prison epistles. He writes to the, to the church at Philippi, and he says it in nearly every single chapter, he uses the word to rejoice. And in chapter 4, he says this, rejoice always, and again, if you didn't hear me, let me repeat myself, rejoice So the fact that he's in prison and he's still rejoicing, the fact that he's writing his persecuted community that just chased him out of town, he's telling them to rejoice. What do we learn from this? Perspective. Perspective. Circumstances didn't change, but his perspective did. The way he looked at his circumstances, the way he saw them. Here's a life principle for you. You can't change your circumstances. Now, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you made your bed and you're lying in it. But you, cho- you can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose your attitude in your circumstances. I, I don't know what you're in right now, but you can look into those dark places and you can find joy if you're a follower of Christ. One of the things that I, I, I give, I found great joy in, and that is in our annual time that we come together and we find a global need out there of a hurting somebody somewhere, of an injustice somewhere, somehow, and we come along beside them in their circumstances and we love on them and we bless them as part of our global work that we do around here. 
And some of the things that we've done over the past years is we've worked with chronic malnourished children in West Africa. We've worked with an orphanage in Zambia. We still work with them on a regular basis. Uh, we've built a, a, a new orphan home there. We've built, uh, we bought a, a bus for them. Uh, we've worked with, um, uh, uh, human trafficking, uh, situations in, in, in South Asia. And every one of those situations, we're, meeting them where they're at in their hurt and their pain and their brokenness. And we're trying to give joy in the 12 wells that we committed to drill in, in, in Mozambique. And really, I think when our teams were there, we actually only got 11 in the ground because one was just, we could not find water. And so whether it's 11 or 12 or whatever, I don't know, but it was awesome to be able to go to these places and to drill wells and to see the gospel presented at these wells while we were there, but it's going on still to this day. And it's been awesome to be able to be a part of that in every Christmas offering. Last year, we, we helped out in a refugee crisis that's happening right now. It's still happening and still increasing in Athens, Greece. And again, these are circumstances. You cannot control sometimes your circumstances, but you can control your perspective and your attitude in your circumstances. And I, and I want to, I want you to hear, and I know you'll have to read it because it's really hard English and it's very, it's a second language or maybe third language, but I want you to meet a guy named Dan and I want you to hear his story and I want you to hear him tell his story. He's a Muslim born who's now a believer and he left Aleppo, Syria, running for his life. And on his running for his life, trying to run to a better land in, of Europe and Germany or France or something like that, he somehow on a Greek island encounters the gospel of Christ that completely changed his life. And now, instead of running for freedom, he is now looking back at his Syrian country and he's saying, God, are you calling me back to start churches where I once ran from? I want you to meet Dan. I had a very nice life before, comfortable life before. Also, I had worked sometimes on ship vessels and travel around the world gave me a very good opportunity and very good salary. If you came to talk me, to talk me about God, I could say I don't need him. Like, okay, I'm so busy actually to think about who is God. Where I was living, where I was grow as well, it was under attack one night, and then that meant we have to run out to save our life. So I left everything back home, and I'm here now. So actually, I was wondering why, why, why this happened in my life, like why this uh, happened. Like I, I, I don't deserve this result, like in my life, to be homeless. Like I became very poor, like suddenly. Uh, I came to country that I don't have any resident permit, I don't have any permission to work, I don't have anything. So why this happened to me? Why I have to ask people to feed me? Like why I, I couldn't have my freedom as before? Like how I was. So it was very, very difficult life. We stay sometimes like four or five hours in the line to get half banana and half a cup with milk and cornflakes. People from that community, and they saw this in my face. They saw that I don't have a hope. Today, there's some Christian people, they came from church to help us in the camp. So when these people show up and start wondering why you came here, why you are here, and say, you are neighborhood, our God uh, teach us that we have to take care about our neighborhood. And that people told me, uh, Jesus said that he is the true and he is the life and he is the way. 
And then I was thinking about these words. Yeah, I get the Bible and start to read that verse and it touched my heart because my experience is I had, I told you, a life before, a very nice life, but suddenly I lost it. So for me, that meant it's a fake. So, and from that moment, I give my heart to Jesus. I said, God, I want to be your worker. It was my first prayer in Jesus' name. So, and God answered me like, like that. 30 years, I was praying, asking, Creator, a lot of things nothing happen, and since I pray in Jesus' name, God answer my prayers. I don't know what my life would look like, but I'm thankful that these things happen to my area, so I have to leave it, and then I found God in my way. So, to, to during this uh, suffering, actually, we need your heart, your prayer. It's encouraging us a lot, like when you travel. 9,000 miles just to be here to, to, to share word of God. It's, it gives us a hope. In the about future, it's more than my prayer request, is asking God to open door. We could reach that people uh, who is living there in that darkness so they could be know about Him. Give the Lord a hand for that beautiful God story. I don't want you to miss what, what Dan said there. And we black his face out because this goes online and, and he's going back to Syria where most of the refugees that are going into Greece are from Syria, Iraq, or Afghanistan. And so his life will literally be on the line. And he made this statement in that video. I don't want you to miss it. I am thankful that these things happened in my area, Syria. This war has come. He's thankful for that. So I have to leave it and found God in my way during this suffering. What a perspective that we can have and be able to rejoice I just want, want to say that. I want to say this to all of our families at Grace Point Family, that I'm hoping that you, as your family, prays about how you give gifts out, however much you give gifts out, that you will be praying about making one more gift in, at, the, at, the, at the table, at the budget, that will be for that Christmas gift. We're, yes, we do local ministries, and a third of that offering is going to go to help ministries that we do right here in Northwest Arkansas, whether it's fosters or orphans or whatever that we do right here locally. Global Adventures, we gave out 30-something, $30 this year alone in the past 12 months in Global Adventure Scholarships to our members to go internationally, and you're going to do that again this year. And then this year's offering will go to at-risk women in and children that are in Syria. And we're going to be zeroing in back into Athens, back into the needs there, working with the Baptist Global Response and connecting up with them and working along these ladies. Because 61% of the refugees that are in Greece are women and children. And so how can we go in and help these children and these women who are suffering in this situation? Not to think like the men, there are going to be men along the way, but we are going to zero our attention into those, into those areas. 
And they got, it's not getting any better. In 2018, they've had more refugees in the past uh, three, or excuse me, in the past uh, from January to September than they had all of last year. So again, the crisis situation is not getting any better. And we want to be there on the front lines, again, to see the people like the Dans and the Yayas and the Christians and, and, and the Bilal's and the others who are Muslim-born believers who are now followers of Christ. We want to walk with them. But that's going to require a perspective that we're going to have a shift in our how we see life. Number two, it takes a posture adjustment. Notice what he says. He says, pray continually. He didn't say pray once a day. He didn't say pray over meal times. He didn't say pray whenever it's convenient. He didn't say pray whenever there's a crisis, but forget God whenever things are good. That you only call him on 911 situations. You call on to God in a continuous prayerful way. Pray without ceasing, it says in verse 17. And we talked about prayer last week, so I'm not going to spend much time talking about it. And that was the Brussels sprouts. And thank you for all you who sent me your Brussels sprouts uh, recipes this past week. I learned this from all the collection of Brussels sprouts recipes, that bacon is the secret ingredient. <laughs> but I knew that bacon goes, everything goes down better with bacon. Um, but I don't want you to miss verse 17. Pray without ceasing. I know people talk about their prayer times. I have a prayer time. I have a prayer space. I have a sacred space. I like reading E.M. Bounds, my favorite author on prayer, or Richard Foster, his book on prayer. I like, I like prayer meetings, gatherings, worship nights of prayer. But you really want to talk about what prayer is? Don't give me your prayer agenda. Just pray. Just do it. Tell him about the good. Tell him about the bad. Tell him about what hurts. Tell him what makes you happy. Tell him what makes you sad. Talk to him in the good times. Talk to him in the bad times. Let it be something that you're constantly doing in your life. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Be constant in prayer. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Pray in the spirit at all times. Hebrews 13, 15, constantly offering a sacrifice of praise to God. Prayer is something, it's a posture of your life when you realize that, hey, I can't do this. I need to walk with God and a part of walking with God in step with him is walking in prayer with him. And ongoing base. Tomorrow night, we're going to do a prayer walking event around the global 360, around the nations where we've gone to about six different nations in the past three or four months that we've sent our people to. We're going to prayer walk. But you know what we need to do every single day of our life is prayer walk. In our lives, walking, running, living about, it's a constant part of our life. That's our posture, our perspective. I'm going to make the choice to rejoice. Our posture is prayer. Proclamation, be thankful. Articulate it. Be thankful. Now notice this next statement. In everything. I, again, being thankful in the good, no problem. Being thankful in the bad, messy, nasty, stinky, broken, injustice. Yeah, man, it's a different thing. Kind of falls off, kind of ends. But how can I 
Be thankful in whatever season I'm in. I don't like when God wakes me up in the middle of the night because typically I don't go back to sleep. Last night was one of those nights. And I don't like it on Saturday night, God. I got to preach on Sunday. It takes a lot of energy to keep you guys awake. <laughs> At 1.51, I woke up. And you're going, you wake up and you think, you know that I'm not going back to sleep. What time is it? Oh, my gosh. It's 1.51. So I do what I'm supposed to do, okay? Pray, offload, relax, breathe deep. I'm doing all this stuff in my head. I am getting more and more awake every moment. And I got a lot of stuff that's just just churning inside of me. But one of those that churns and churns and has been churning and is churning more and more, and even our pastors are feeling it, are the marriages of our church. I can't tell you a time in my 28 years of ministry that I have talked to more people with hurting homes, children, marriages, than any other time in 28 years. Marriages that I would have never guessed. And this is one thing I've learned. There's a lot that happens on the other side of the door of your house that I never see. I told some of our pastors, I think a lot of our marriages are being held together by belling tape, duct tape and belling, belling wire. So I'm going to do something today that's off script. We didn't talk about it in our worship planning meeting. This is a 151 revelation. That's one o'clock in the morning, 51. Um, I want to pray for our families. And I want you to pray for our families. I want us to come together and pray for our families. Uh, and let's find God in this situation right now. Would you pray with me? God, the pain, the hurt, the loss that so many families are going through. So many couples are feeling. It seems to be beyond control. It seems to be like the fires that we just saw in California, out of control, burning faster than we can get in front of them. God, I want to pray for our homes. I want to pray for our children, our youth, our our future generation, our future leaders, Lord. And some of them are making some really, really lifelong dangerous decisions that's going to cost them. Some of our marriages, Lord, and some, some in the families have left. They've already, they may be physically at home, but they're emotionally, they're mentally, they've checked out. They've quit. 
They're tired. I get it. They're tired. Some have chosen a path of darkness. God, I ask, where there's darkness, you will shine light. Where there's hopelessness, you will shine hope. Where there's lies, there you will shine truth. Where there's a hardened heart, you will break up the fallow ground. Lord, do what only you can do. And may those that, Lord, are feeling the pain right now, that are hurting right now, would you help them to have a perspective of rejoicing? To find strength in the posture of prayer. And Lord, somehow in everything, may they give thanks. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, It's not just in everything. Paul ratchets it up another notch. And I would do an injustice to being thankful and talking about Thanksgiving, not to mention Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. I know it's not in the same text, but it's from Paul's writings and it's worthy of looking at. Because not only did he tell us to give thanks in all things, but he actually told us to give thanks for all things. Now, again, maybe you can muster up the strength and, and say in your heart, God, I'm thankful for in this situation right now. I'm thankful in this season right now. But can you say I'm thankful for this right now? For this that I'm dealing with. And that's hard. When you have, and you feel like there's nothing and you're losing it all, whether it's family or children or, or, or life or dreams or visions for yourself or what you thought that God's plan was for your life and somehow being thankful for that. And I think Vance Havner put it so well. He said, everything that we have above nothing is from God. Everything that we have. It's above nothing is from God. So let us learn to be thankful for and in it. I'm thankful for what God does. If I can go full circle to talk and rejoice in what God does. Because again, I think sometimes we have to get perspective. We have to get a posture. We have to, we have to get a proclamation over our life and our situation. And so one of the ways I want to do this, I want to give an example of that. And what God has done in our church and through our church in the past couple of years we're blessed to have some guests today. I'll introduce them in a moment. But I, I, I just want to look at what has God done through our offerings and through our giving and through our generosity and, and through our going. And I'm thankful for what God has done in our individual lives. Uh, for for, for a, a, a couple of years ago, we, we committed to 12 wells in, in 12 months. And, and again, that's a random number. And even John Dinah, who's here with us today, challenged, well, 12 months, 12 months. And it's like, I, I don't know. I'm just weird that way. So it's just an easy rounded math number. And so and let's, let's do 12 wells in 12 months. 
And again, I, I think whenever we walked away, we had 11 wells. And so I was like, okay, that's a pretty good win. That's pretty good percentages. I at least passed class with that grade. And so, um, so anyway, we, we, we move on, but it's so awesome not only to see the wells go in, but to see what God does in our people's lives. And Jay, who's sitting right over here, see him stand around a well and share the gospel, only his second global adventure to go on and to be able to share the gospel in a village to some people. And he meets a young man there on the trip who's a church planner now named Dino, comes back and develops a sandwich and puts it in his food truck. So you need to ask him for the Dino next time you see a locomotive food truck out and maybe he'll make it for you. I love Caleb. Caleb Dareberry, who was in our last gathering, his dad and, and son, and they go on a global adventure as a father-son kind of thing. He turns 16, and he's on that trip with us. He's turning 18. He's going to college next year. It was fun to watch Caleb blossom in this outward, bubbly personality, be able to share the gospel with kids in the villages with, 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 us, with us there, and to, and to see his light come on. Because you know what Caleb's praying about right now? God's calling him into ministry. It, what, what, what part of that trip turned a light on in his soul? I'm thankful for what God does in us. And the wells that we were able to go around and to pray over. And, and if you were to see the holes in the ground that they were drinking from. In fact, the very first well that we dug, here's a hole in the ground that, that John, standing back there, he's the white guy, by the way. Uh, so uh, uh, the hole in the ground that they're drinking their water from, but yet now a 100 yards away from that well is this well. Go back one slide uh, to, the, to this photo. This is the well that they're drinking from now. And it's so awesome to have John and Bonnie with us today. And it's a rarity that we get to have folks in our gatherings like this. But I've asked them to close out my message today because I know I'm thankful for them. Been on the field for 25 years. We've known them for 21 years. And distant friends, closer friends today. And it's glad to ha- I'm glad to have Johnny, uh, John and Bonnie with us. Give them a Northwest Arkansas welcome as they come and close out our time. Good morning, church. It's been a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, Joe and I, we've been serving in Mozambique since uh, 93. Um, We have three children, three adult children. Our daughter is Hannah. She lives in Phoenix. We have a son who is married in Charlottesville, North um, Virginia. And we have a son with his wife who just went to Southeast Asia to work with the IMB just like us uh, in September. Thank you. And we have our first grandbaby coming. Oh. <laughs> uh, good morning, Grace Point. We want to say thank you, and Jay. Good to see you, man. All right. We haven't seen each other since he was in Mozambique. What a privilege to share with you and to rejoice with you and to give you a status report on how the project is going. Nikki, wow. We spent a lot of miles driving up and down that road, didn't we? Okay, Michelle. I mean, listen, it's a little bit of a family reunion for us to come back here, so sorry for the distraction, but what an honor. Um, Mike wanted a status report. You know, what is the total impact of what God has done through this partnership, through this event? And I want to just say to you, we really don't know the total impact of this. Um, and there's a few reasons why, but really, basically, the main reason is 
Folks, we never know what God is doing. You do not know how God will take something that you have a plan for. Pastor was talking about, you know, a vision statement and where we want to go and then action plans. We put those action plans down, but I want to tell you, God can turn your action plan upside down. He can turn it sideways, make it go 360 degrees the other way and blow it into something you never saw. And so praise God for his leading, but praise God, he is constantly moving. And so where our status is on this, I think it's still going. Now we shared uh, earlier, we don't have 12. We were able to squeeze out 14 wells out of that project. I won't put a plug in. I guess I don't need to, but that well project is blowing and going. It's a great project. And as your money goes in, it does amazing things. I will just share with you briefly. You take the families that went to the Hootons. Your volunteers showed up there. Um, I know that Lori was part of that group. And Sky and El, Ellie, um, they were up there sharing with David and Janet Hooton. Sharing in villages and one day, you know, as they're coming back, having shared, um, I asked David this week and Brian Harrell, tell me what happened. And David was just sharing when those folks came back that day, the Lord just allowed them to share and El was sharing. And, you know, God opened up a young man's heart in that village. And it's amazing to me. Now, Lori is a very... I can say a professional speaker. I mean, she does that with our organization, goes around the world. And of course, we have world's greatest pastor right over here. We have the world's greatest missionary over there, David Hooten. They've been there forever. His dad was my supervisor back in 1984, okay? They've been around, man. And God takes Ellie and he uses his word to win a young Mozambican to the Lord Jesus, who this week, corresponding with David, is still faithful, and yet that boy fell in love. And when he fell in love, he moved to another village to marry the girl. And so now, through Grace Point, not only do the Hootens have access to that village, they also have access to the village that this young convert has moved into to share Christ there. That would have been impossible Except that God used one of your lay people. He didn't use the pastor. He didn't use the professionals. He just used his word and a willing heart and someone who said, I will go. And when the opportunity was, can you share it? Said, yes, I will. And God used that and through the power of his spirit. Yes, sir. Praise God. I will tell you about the heralds and the team that went up with them. And as Mike said, they worked hard. And they didn't get every well that they wanted, and yet they got their wells. You know that every single day, because of Grace Point, contribution, partnering, team coming, hardworking, here you have, we have a very dominant religious group there, and we have believers. And those handful of, of religious group and our believers meet every day at this well that says, God loves you in Portuguese. And they meet there, around that well. What a chance to share. And then a national pastor and a national missionary, because of your contributions, were able to team up and become the team, and it gives them access into those villages. That goes on today. And then Grace Point funded two more wells, 
It's part of the 14, but funded two more wells in northern Mozambique. Northern Mozambique right now is a very difficult place. There's a lot of religious um, persecution, I'll just say, going on. We have a fanatical group that is up there. They're killing people. In a city where we have an IMB family, uh, all of those wells have now gone dry. But two. Guess who funded those two wells? I cannot explain it, folks, but I will tell you, I am, I'm with my hand here on the scripture, that every well in that city has gone dry, but two, and those are the two wells that Grace Point funded. Those wells proclaim the glory of God to a missionary that you are supporting and you pray for. And they are faithful in that proclamation of the gospel, but in a very animistic society, those two wells not gone dry means a whole lot more than our scientific mind would say, well, they're probably more near the aquifer. No, that is pointing to God's glory and there every day as people come. That was something that wasn't in our action plans. <laughs> it wasn't in our plan of what God was doing. But this day, through your offering, through your prayers, through your willingness, through your team, God is being glorified in that part of the world, proclaiming the gospel. I will just conclude to say in our area, Zambezia province of Mozambique, I was looking back at an email that I wrote to Mike one year ago. And I was explaining that we had about 70 people in our area come to faith through the wall project. Amen? Wow, are you, is it lunchtime? Are you sleeping already? Holy cow. 70 people. Oh, yeah? Okay. Thank you for your contributions. Thank you for keeping us on the field. That number 70 is significant in the Bible. You know, Jesus, before he went to these places, the Bible tells us that he sent out a group of 70. 70 sent out people, went into villages, went into to houses. They went to people of peace and houses of peace and proclaimed the good news to them. 70 sent out people. So if 70 people came to faith who have been sent out through this project, I don't know the numbers to report to you now. It's a year later. But God can use the 70. What can God do with 70 sent out from Grace Point? I mean, we're probably in this room today because of the 70. And the way that that just keeps on going year after year. So folks, when I look, I was looking at the passage, Luke chapter 10. It says, now after this, the Lord appointed 70 brother, others and he sent them out two ahead of him to every city where he himself was going. Verse 2. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, into the fields. What's the status of this project? I don't know. Because I think God's working in this church, this morning, these hearts. Because it's not over. God is still calling us out to the harvest. And what can the 70 do at a grace point? I know what they're doing in Mozambique. They're sharing their faith, proclaiming the goodness of God and salvation through the name of Jesus Christ. May this church continue to do the same. But the project, my brothers, is not over. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Amen.
Thank you guys. Thank you so much.